You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Amen, amen. (laughs) My goodness, that was amazing worship. It's an honor to be with you guys. Um, It's my very first time to Midland. And I'm already just loving it. It's, it. It is hot here, though. I'm um, originally from northwest Arkansas. Uh, that's right, Woo Pig. And uh, born and raised, got radically saved in 1997. I was a strung-out drug addict and got hit by the power of God in a college parking lot. Come on, anybody else understand what I'm talking about? Two of you do. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> kind of keep them in the back row. We don't look at them. But... Um, Anyway, when I had, you know, I had a praying mom, and my best friend had a praying mom, and it's usually T minus 10, 9, 8 before you get saved, when you got intercessors storming the gates of heaven and hell. Devil come out or I'm coming in after you kind of women. We got some mama intercessors in here. And, uh, you know, that was my best friend. We're partying, staying up three, four days a week at a time, and She's anointing every one of us every time we come in the house. You just come in high looking, looking for a bed, and you put your head on the pillow, and I'd realize she'd put anointing oil all over the pillow. I know some of y'all got prayer cloths underneath Timmy's bed. But, um, you know, he gets radically saved. February 1st, 1997, I show up at his house. He comes running out the front door screaming at me. At the top of his lungs, screaming, it's heaven or hell, Corey, it's heaven or hell. But what I didn't know is that his mom led him through a three-day deliverance. He gets saved and comes to Jesus, and I felt betrayed because I'd put up with a weirdo for several months, and he got saved at 20, and you just don't do that. You know, you, have, you get saved at 30, not at 20. So I was upset. Two weeks later, he shows up to college. I'm still in college, barely. Thank God I got saved, and... He takes me to lunch, and he says, Corey, for those four months, the spirit realm was opened up. I was seeing angels and demons. I was seeing wild things, and Corey, you got demons, and you need to deal with some things and give your life to Jesus. And I said, dude, shut up and take me back to school. And he goes, fine. I just got my second DWI, and I was just hardened towards anything of God or following anything. He pulls into the parking lot right before I get out of the van, I felt a presence I had never felt before, and it was the presence of the Holy Spirit that filled the van. I didn't know what it was. I think I was cussing as he entered the van, and I'm shaking violently like I'm having a seizure, and I can see a tug-of-war battle between light and darkness over my soul. He pulls in the back of the parking lot, starts praying. I start choking. I knew how to get out the name Jesus, but all I could get out was G's, and I'm G's, G's. gets tired. He's in my ear screaming, say it. Say it, say it. I said, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Finally, took a deep breath, and with all the power inside of me, screamed, Jesus. And right when I screamed his name, the hold broke off my throat. God came and breathed into my mouth. And my friend jumps out of the van dancing, running around, saying, Jericho's come down. And I didn't know what Jericho was, but it sounded awesome. And I just kept there saying, I got air, I got air, I got air. And after about five minutes, I heard a voice as clear as day coming to my mind. And the voice said, get out of the van, get on the pavement, and give me your life, your mind. 
And uh, I, February 18, 1997, I jump out of the van, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I'm screaming, kids running everywhere, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. I got immediately born again, delivered of all the drugs. We were doing all drugs every way, and I got the, uh, the one-stop shop, and I got it all dealt with in one shop. I'm grateful for 10 steps, but I believe in the power of one. Went home that afternoon and sat on my porch swing for two hours, undone by how blue the sky was and how green the grass was and how loud the birds were. It's like I had been dead for 20 years and I was alive. Well, within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that or bigger in their explosions. The Lord just popping them off, popping them off. And, and what began to happen, I lead my little brother to the Lord who goes crazy for Jesus in the high school. And over the next six months, we saw half the high school come to Jesus. We began to have about five meetings a week till three in the morning. And I just got addicted to the presence of God. I couldn't drive anywhere, so I'm like, I got to get rid of all these rap lyrics. And so I'm going to read my Bible for eight hours a day. And that's all I would do was just wanted to be in the presence of God all the time. And I'm even here 25 years later as a man that's just addicted to the presence of God. There is no life outside of him, and I want to live close to him all the days of my life. Well, I began to connect. I'm a 20-year-old freak right out of the world, and I'm beginning to connect with my best friend's mom and her friends. And I spent the first two years of my salvation walk, spending the majority of my time with two 50-year-olds and one 80-year-old woman. I, I prayed with these girls. They taught me about early morning prayer. Late night prayer, they go, you don't need your favorite song on before you start praying. you got tongues in the Bible. And you can lay a hold of God and that he hears your prayers. And I really began just to get myself to prayer. I married my wife uh, August 1st, 1998. We just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Come on, somebody. I just flew in from celebrating my parents' 50th uh, wedding anniversary in Alabama, so it's an awesome season. Had our first daughter in 99, and then the Lord began to stir in our hearts about this ministry of 24-7 prayer in Kansas City. And I'm like, God, I would love to pray eight hours a day and get so lost in the Word. When you need my voice, you can come get me. And he said, let's go. And so we made a radical move in, 19, uh, in 2000, and it's been a wild, glorious, terrible, awesome earthquaking last 25 years and by the grace of God we're here and it's over this last 25 years where God has taught me how to pray where the Lord has taught me how to pray and he's called me saying Corey I want you to awaken the body of Christ to prayer because it's not one among many issues or one among other things it is the greatest calling of every believer God has designed you for communion and connection with him and that outside of communion and connection with him, life does not work. It does not work. He's not a little salt on your meal. He is the meal. And, I, 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 and so it's been awesome. It's been glorious. I could talk to you about a whole bunch of things today. It does blow me away. The disciples were in every revival service. Think about walking with somebody. All right, walking with a pastor. And for three and a half years, you hear every message, and you got ten notebooks full. Think about witnessing every miracle. Every 
demonized person getting set free. For three and a half years, they were in every walking revival, and then they had campfire chats after revival service, getting to ask him, what did you feel when the woman with the issue of blood touched you? What did you mean by that, Jesus? And I don't see one recorded time in the Bible where they asked him, teach us to preach. Where they asked him, teach us to prophesy. Teach us to do miracles. Teach us to to deliver people. After spending three and a half years with the Son of God, they go, we want your prayer life. Teach us to pray. Take us by the hand and instruct us in the lost art of communion with heaven. You know the reason they asked it? It's because he modeled it. I got a vision for a new breed of leaders, and when I'm thinking of leaders, I'm thinking of moms and dads, I'm thinking about brothers and sisters. I'm thinking about leaders and pastors who live such a life of communion with heaven. Their words when talking to Jesus have more profound impact than just the rules about following Jesus. I got a vision for little Timmy in here, all of our little ones back here. And I really feel like we were praying here uh, before, uh, before service. I really feel like 10 is a big one, and Acts 10 is when the gospel began to break out into the Gentile world. It had been mostly Israel-centric, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but there was this Roman centurion who began to get a prayer on the inside of him, and God had to correct Peter's issues with Gentiles to say, I'm doing something new in the earth. And I feel like God's attention is turning towards Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I believe it's time for the fathers and the mothers to turn their hearts to these children back here because that's going to be the next 10 years right here. And, and I'm, I'm speaking that. I think a door is opening, and we got to go get them at 5, 6, 7, and 8 because that's where the spirit of this age is seeking to get them. we got to fight for them and get them encountered in God. we got to give them more than a couple of Noah stories, Daniel and Lion's Den, and Noah in a boat, they got to encounter God for real. We can't give them forms devoid of reality. We can't give them 45 minutes on Sunday and then the other six days of our weeks disconnected because good religious people have church as a nice sly of their weekly pie. I'm, feel, I'm, I'm prophesying to you. I feel like Acts 10 is when the Lord had to correct Peter's understanding. He says, stop calling unclean what I call clean. Which means this, I'm going to go, and it may look different than what you've seen. It may look different than how it's been done, but I feel like there's a spirit of revival for our children. And I want to call four teenagers and 20-year-olds to turn their hearts. Quit waiting to be a natural mother before you become a spiritual mother. Go pour into 12-year-olds. You give them pizza, they'll listen to anything you got to say. You buy them anything, they'll go, what, what's going on? Talk to me. I want you to know there's no life outside of Jesus. <clears throat> I believe, And I'm just going to kind of just talk. I've got a lot to talk about. I want to talk about a hero in the Bible today. But I believe that the, uh, the church is in the middle of a great shift in reformation. I believe the days of Sunday-only Christianity are over. Jesus didn't die for 45 minutes and 20 bucks. 
Jesus died so that as we were just singing, veils would be rent. And that we who were afar off would come into proximity, not just once a week, but that we would live within the veil. We would live within the holy of holies, regardless of whatever we do, that we're living in the presence. I got a vision for little Timmy waking up at 7, running in the living room, and seeing mom and or dad on the couch, Bible open, notebook open, worship music on, and tears coming down mom's face as she's lost in worship and prayer. Do you know what's going to hit that child at that moment? Jesus is not a once a week meeting. He's a real man, and I can feel his presence in the room. Your children are going to remember your tears when talking to Jesus far more than your rules about following Jesus. That's what will mark them is, my goodness, this isn't a meeting. This is a reality. This man is real, and I can feel his presence, and our children get used to their presence. I love it. I, I, I love birthing our children into it. We have a 23, 20, and 13-year-old. We baptized my 13-year-old in the Jordan in Israel a month ago, and she's in the middle of a revival right now in her personal life. It's going from mom and dad's thing into she's owning her own walk with the Lord. If I were to ask you, and I, and I just want to quickly just walk through a couple of things. So I, I do feel like the, the church, and I feel like he, he didn't call his house. He called his house a house of prayer, didn't he? Didn't he? He called his house a house of prayer. That is, that's why Jesus turned over tables. You know why he was turning over tables? It's because the God of convenience entered in to the religion. To where they were called to bring sacrifices from their hometown and bring them into the temple. They came up with a whole religious system saying, we can make it really easy for you to get your sacrifice here, offer it, and you fulfilled your duty. That's what Jesus was turning over. That's why zeal for his house was consuming him is when the God of convenience and when you lose the revelation of the beauty and the majesty and the worth of Jesus, then you begin to give what's only required devoid of heart connection. We need a spirit of revelation back on the church of the worth, of the beauty, of the majesty of the goodness of God that quenches a thousand questions and answers a thousand realities on the inside of us. We need the spirit of revelation back in the church. In Malachi chapter 1, Malachi goes, guys, you wouldn't bring some of the offerings you're bringing, you wouldn't bring them to your governor. He goes, I'm a great king. And Israel, if you keep going through religious motions, I'm going to shut the whole thing down. And I want you to know that from the rising of the sun to its going down, I'm going to awaken a Gentile worship and prayer movement to awaken you and provoke you to jealousy. Oh, we need the spirit of revelation. God's going to cure the church of the great cancer called boredom. We're going to get fascination back on our spirits. The Word of God will become our number one source of entertainment again. And we're going to get delivered from boredom. And we're going to get childlikeness again upon us with questions about God. Can you put Luke 10 up here? I want to quickly walk through a couple of things with you this morning. So it's good to meet you guys. 
You're like, my goodness, he's intense. And I'm like, Everything's intense I do. Go out to eat with my wife, and I eat my hamburger in 20 seconds. Push it to the side. I go, so talk to me about your week. She's just getting started throwing pepper on it. <laughs> Anybody else like that? Good, good, good. Yeah, yes, me. All right, did you get this? Look at this. I, if I were to ask you who's your hero in the Bible, who would you say? Yeah, outside of Jesus. Who is it? Paul, David, Matthew, Moses, Paul, Bobby the prophet, somebody. My, my hero in the Bible is Mary of Bethany. We only see this girl three times in Scripture, but every time we see her, she's breaking through boxes, she's breaking through expectations, and she's putting all eyes on Jesus. She's not going to have a big impactful healing ministry or apostolic ministry, but by the end of today's message, you're going to find that wherever the gospel is preached, the lavishing of her oil will go on forever. I want to... I see there's three times we see her in Scripture. She only said one phrase. The phrase will be in our second story. I like to liken this as the progression in the school of prayer. And I really keep hearing a phrase in my heart this morning, God is birthing a new prayer for a new season. I'm going to liken this story to kindergarten through fifth grade in the school of prayer. And that unless you get your basics in arithmetic and English, you will not be able to move into middle school and high school years, which is what happens in John 11. Let's read this story because this is our first lesson in prayer. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Here's what Mary does. She's not talking. She makes a radical decision that has a lot of implications. She had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet, and what'd she do? She heard his word. Every time we see Mary, she's going to be at the feet of Jesus. She lives below him, and Mary makes a radical decision. She sits at his feet, hears his word. Look at this. Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Say much serving. Okay, she comes to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you have empathy that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to get off her lazy behind and help me. Jesus answered and said to her, oh, I love you. Martha, Martha, look at this. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, and it won't be taken away from her. A couple of things in this story, Mary never says a word. She lets Jesus fight her battles for her. She's going to make a radical decision with the Son of God coming into her house. I refuse to get caught in the busyness around Jesus. I'm going to find myself at the feet of Jesus hearing the words out of his mouth. Here's a lesson I want you to learn about prayer. It doesn't start with you talking. It starts with you listening. Prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue, and Jesus talks first. In the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't start with, I need bills paid, electric, Aunt Bobby healed, and Uncle Johnny saved. 
It starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It doesn't start with asking for something, but at looking at someone. Jesus wants to rip your prayer list up. Many of you have a hard time with prayer because you're just talking, rubbing the genie, getting things. And Jesus is saying, I want to introduce you to the most beautiful, glorious, amazing person in the whole wide world who's inexhaustibly rich and inexhaustibly generous. He is the kindest, most compassionate, most rich person you will ever meet. And I don't want you just asking things from sugar daddy. I want you looking at him. I want you making eye contact. Anybody got two-year-olds in here? Hardest thing in the world is getting them to make eye contact with you. Yet that's what most of us look like in prayer. Everybody's got attention problems. And he's just doing this. Look at me. We're all distracted two-year-olds. Learning how to commune with God. I want to invite you into looking at God and listening to Him like you never have. Here's my challenge for you this week. If you've got 30 minutes before the Lord tomorrow morning, take 20 with an open Bible and whisper Bible verses to Him with long sighs and let Him talk. Don't inundate Him with all your crushing burdens. Let him wash you with who he is because most of us view God like a middle-class working dad with seven billion children. And that's why our prayers are small. It's because our view of God is small. And when you see God little, you believe little. Middle-class working dads have good hearts but limited resources. Can I tell you that's an idol you made? Can I tell you, you need to smash your idols? We need to tear down every stronghold and argument that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Mary makes a radical decision, and that's diving to the feet, breaking protocol, breaking expectations, breaking through worry, busyness, distraction, and a lot of serving. So many of us are caught in the swirl around Jesus, we never actually sit at the feet of Jesus. And I want to declare war on the God of busyness. I want to declare war on the God of anxiety, fear, trouble, and busyness in the house. This happened in the house. This ain't for the unbeliever. This is for the church member who's always wanting to serve and it's beautiful on ten levels, but some of that busyness is so they don't have to look at God and talk to Him. And you feel like you get justified by how much you do for Him. It's not what you do for Him, it's who you are to Him. See, it's going to really come down to this. Are y'all with me? I'm going to preach anyway. You're either going to get defined by the words He says over you or what you do for Him. I know a lot of people, I've been in this thing a second, who will serve faithfully for a season, but they're trying to gain their primary identity from what they do for Jesus. And for a season, it'll be, oh, it's all for Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Until somebody who comes in after them gets elevated above them. And then all of a sudden, frustration starts boiling. 
All of a sudden, it turns into anger. All of a sudden, it's the Lord's calling me to a new church. And at the end of the day, it's because your primary reward was people noticing you and validating your work. If your primary reward isn't the words that he's speaking over you, you'll put in your time for a season, but there will always be this gaping hole. Somebody tell me who I am. I didn't read that in a book. The kiss of the Word of God is your primary source of identity. Who are you? I want to tell every one of you right now, you're beloved sons and daughters of Him. You're the apple of His eye. The affection of heaven is set upon you. And I don't care how big the bank account is, how many followers you have, one kiss from one word from that man settles a thousand longings and answers a thousand questions on the inside of you. Have you been kissed in a while? Have you been kissed with the kiss of the Word of God that washes, that cleanses, that delivers, that breaks, that gets you out of the swirl and brings you into rest? Prayer doesn't start till he talks first. Martha is mad, and she's going to question Jesus' fairness. You're not fair. That person came in after me. I've served faithfully in this church for five years, and little whippersnapper comes in here, and you're giving him more favor than me? How dare you? Now, we never say it like this. It's praise the Lord. Lord's calling me into a new season. It's called leaving this church. <laughs> I didn't read it in the book. One thing is needed. Jesus, get practical. He goes, no, no. If you get one thing right, it's going to answer 10,000 other things in your life. But if you get that one thing wrong, it will take you on a completely, and this goes at home too. We got moms in here. Yes, husbands, laud your wives, praise your wives, serve your wives. But honey, you better get it from the kiss. This touches marriage. This touches family. Because some holes can't be filled by that man. He wasn't designed to meet that core need of who am I. He can't fill it. Nor can she fill yours. If you're not getting it by the kiss of the Word of God, I'm a beloved son. I'm a cherished daughter. I'm enjoyed by God. I'm not successful because of how big my bank account is, but because the King of Heaven has set His gaze upon me. That's what makes me successful. Yeah, we got an amen. We got one because most of us are driven by busyness, distraction, worry, anxiety, because that's where we gain our identity. And we're so busy on the inside, that's why we can't pray. Prayer is the language of silence and of hearing and of receiving. I got to run. You better learn kindergarten through fifth grade. Guys, that's the elementary years. We're at a 2.0 on the treadmill right now in the earth. 
it's going to increase. If you can't get delivered from other people's ideas about you, because as soon as you begin to prioritize life at his feet, every person that's never called you will call you. Every crisis that's never broken out will break out. Because I've settled it in 25 years of ministry. The devil will let me run around the earth preaching on stages, hallelujah, glory to God, bang, 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 bang. But I'll put hell on notice if I set a time and a place that no amount of opportunity or distraction can get me out of. It puts hell on notice. Because if we don't learn how to wait, everybody say wait. I'm going to run through this next part quickly. Get your seatbelt on. If you don't learn how to wait, you're always going to be driven by the newest crisis. Can you go to John 11? Let's see. Let's go to let's go to sixth grade to uh, high school, twelfth grade. Okay, now we're about to get introduced to Mary's brother, Lazarus. Mary's going to show back up in the story, and it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. I love this. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. Oh, one of my favorite verses. It was that Mary. Everybody say that Mary. Which Mary? That Mary. What Mary? That anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. I want you to see something right here in John 11. John is connecting something that we haven't read in the book of John yet. And he's connecting the John 11 season to the John 12 anointing. Does anybody in here know how oil gets produced? It's in crushing. And what John is doing is he is connecting the, many of us, because I want to tell you what 6th grade to 12th looks like. It looks like the crushing seasons. The crushing seasons when prayer now goes to something beyond words and begins to break through into a deeper place. Are you with me? That Mary. Therefore the sister sent to him and said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. We know Jesus loved everybody. He loved these guys more. When Jesus heard that, Jesus gets the letter. My buddy's sick. You know, I've got a long journey. I've healed sinners, tax collectors, everybody else. He says when he heard that, he said this, the sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. That's one of the most faithful statements of Jesus in the Scripture. He goes, this is not going to end in death. Hallelujah. God's going to get glory through this story. God's going to get glory through this story. Now the next verse messes with everything. It's not unto death. He didn't say he wouldn't die. He just didn't say it would end in death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Next verse. Now Jesus loved her. Why would you say that again, John? Because I need you to understand that. And her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Knowing that him staying means Lazarus goes ahead and dies. Who in here has ever been in a season where you've cried out to God for the breakthrough, the deliverance, the resurrection? And your deepest prayers seem to go unnoticed, and it goes from bad to worse. What happens when you've seen him do it for sinners and tax collectors and adulterous people and heal everybody, and yet the ones he loves is getting the divine delay thrown on their life? And when Jesus isn't moving in on your timetable, what happens then when it doesn't look like what 
the preacher told me it was going to look like, and i got to walk through real delays where things die. People die. Marriages die. Children for a season die when we raise them in the things of God and they lose their mind for some years. And you cried out to God and you're not seeing Him anywhere. What happens in that divine delay? I'll tell you what happens. You're going to get two types of responses. I call it happy, clappy, plastic prayers. Are you going to let the moment cut you and produce a new prayer for a new season? A new prayer for a new season. Jesus is four days late. No, he isn't, brother. It's perfect timing. No, he's late. He's late. And Lazarus dies. And we're going to find two types of responses from Martha and Mary. And I believe it's because Martha didn't learn how to wait in the waiting room. She was once again driven by the recent crisis. Can you put verse 20 up here? I want you to see this. I love this. So Jesus, four days late, he shows up to the edge of Bethany. And look, it says, Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But here it is, old lazy Mary sitting in the house. Girl's always sitting. And I want to tell you this. I, want to, I forgot to say this. A lot of us will use this story and pit Mary versus Martha. It's not Mary versus Martha. It's Mary before Martha. But I want to promise you this. If you sit long enough, you're going to get pregnant with the purposes of God and work with the reward on the inside. It's not either or. It's both and, but there's priority. The priority is learn how to sit and let God birth His dreams and visions in you so you're carrying the reward on the inside instead of looking for external validation. Mary's sitting. Why is she always sitting? Because she's learning how to wait in tension. Martha's pacing in the room. I can just see it. He got the letter. I don't know why he didn't get here. He's done it for 100 people. I've seen 1,000 people get healed one day. We get the letter from someone he loves, and he doesn't move. Jesus is here. Boom. She takes off. Runs out there. She's going to stand face-to-face with Jesus. And she's going to say, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. If you would have gotten here in time, I wouldn't be in this situation. Now, that's, that's a powerful phrase. It's one Mary's going to use ten verses later. But Martha's going to stand up saying it where Martha's going to be, I mean, Mary's going to be at his feet weeping it. Martha says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But look at this. But even now, I know. Everybody say, I know. When someone says, I know, they don't know. Because there's some seasons it's not about the right answer. It's about a new prayer. It ain't even about theological correctness and you having all your I's dotted and making a straight A on your test. It's about will you let this moment cut you and take you to a deeper place in prayer. I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus, just stone cold. Your brother's going to rise again. She goes, I know. She said, I know. He's going to rise again at the resurrection at the last day. He goes, honey, I am the resurrection and the life. 
It's not just coming. Quit putting me in theological boxes for someday. I'm looking for you to pull me into today. He goes, do you believe this? He goes, yes, you're the Christ, Son of the living God. Which means this, Martha got nowhere but theological conversations. There was nothing going on. It's because Martha hadn't learned the frequency of heaven. All she has is emotional right phrases devoid of reality. All right? Do you believe this? Yes. Go on down. Oh, I love this, verse 28. This is awesome. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. I don't see Jesus ask for Mary, do you? What did Martha see in his face to saying, I'm past my pay grade here? All right? Look at verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, and there she is again, at his feet. She goes, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. What did John hear that made him write down Jesus groaned in the spirit? I think he heard an audible cry come out of the depths of the Son of Man. Something deep within the bowels of the Son of Man got awakened when he saw his friends going through a dark night. And now he's moving into where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then we see the longest verse in the Bible. I'm convinced Jesus weeping was around 30 minutes as everyone watched the vulnerable God on full display as a storm of emotion came out of him. This is my question, and, I, and I, there's a lot more to this, but Jesus knew what he was going to do from the start. Right? What do you say, saints? This won't end in death. For glory! Then why didn't you translate to the resurrection of Lazarus? It's because there's something about him getting into the valley of weeping with his friends. There's something about him showing up in the middle of that death, that darkness, that I can't see you, I don't know where you're at. I can't find you, and about him awakening faith in that place and a new prayer that he can now use and partner with to move into resurrection season. This is what separates him from everything. God weeps. He's not at the finish line saying, get to the end. He's the God who shows up with you in it. Breaking our pride, breaking our religion, breaking our perfection. Breaking our plastic praying, saying, I ain't looking for right answers. I'm looking for a cut on the inside of you. I need ugly cries. I need a new prayer of the disappointment, the pain. Walk it out with me. That's what's going to break through the spirit of religion. It's when we get past all the facades and the plastic, hallelujah, brother. It don't move heaven. Jesus wept. See how he loved him. Everybody gave opinions. Then he showed up. Go to the next verse. This will just show you how faith-filled Martha was. He says, hey, take away the stone. Martha said, let's get practical. 
He stinks. I thought you said you believe. I do, but I don't. Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. And then he spoke to a tomb and a man came out who had been dead for four days. I believe with all my heart, resurrection is coming out for this new season. The ones who have birthed this first phase of this house, there's been pushback. There's been setback. There's been loss. There's been delays and wonderings. And I think it's a new prayer that's going to burst something in for a new season. And the oil that gets produced here, when you get the fear of death broken off of you, when you see your brother come out of the grave, Ain't nobody stopping you. Because two days before Jesus died, Mary goes, I'm going to take the alabaster flask, a very costly oil, my life's inheritance, everything that's been produced and provided for for my life, I'm going to break into a room with Simon the leper there, Lazarus there, and I'm going to break it and wipe it all over Jesus and waste love on this man. And when all the disciples and all the religious are saying, get practical, use it for good stuff, Jesus says, why are you bothering her? I love it. He says, she's anointed my body for burial, which means this, she knows dead people come out of graves. She knows dead people come out of graves. She knows dead people come out of graves because she just saw it. And she knew Jesus was coming out of the grave. Those disciples couldn't get it. And he says, guys, we'll never hear another story about Mary of Bethany. You guys will bring the gospel to the four corners. When you preach the gospel, tell this story. Because this is what a life looks like that's been impacted by the gospel. They give it all. I know we've gone a little over this morning. I don't want to go too long, but I, I feel like some of you are in the divine delay seasons, and it is hard. You're finding that all the nice phrases and verbology isn't moving anything. God's awakening a new prayer for a new season. And you know what? This is going to be ugly and, and kind of mess with your self-respect. Who am I talking to? If that's you, Ray, just stand up. I want to pray for you this morning. John 11, I am the resurrection. God, I thank you for this beautiful family. I thank you, Lord, for every story in this room. And God, I just pray right now for a revelation of the weeping God. God, I thank you that tears are the seedbed for resurrection. And I just declare it over this house, a new prayer for a new season, and all the family storylines that's connected to it in this room. You know the stories, God. You know the divine delays. And I just pray right now for breakthrough in the name of Jesus. I pray breakthrough in the name of Jesus. I pray for a cry to be awakened on the inside of you. And I pray that it would shift families, it would shift homes, shift destinies, God.
I just thank you for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.